Good evening. Today in our Rural Medley podcast, I am speaking with Brendan Marshall, a rural generalist obstetrician who hails from rural Queensland. He is based at Tiniko, which is on the west coast of New Zealand, with satellite clinics up and down the coast, predominantly of a primary care nature. Thank you, Brendan, for joining me this evening. Sure, Lucinda. How's things? Yeah, great. Um, it's even better because I know you're over in Australia today, so I really do appreciate your time. No, it's Brendan, excellent. Brendan, can you just tell me about your journey to the rural west coast of New Zealand and practicing rural hospital medicine over there? Yeah, no problem. I think, like for most people, there's something the question holds real relevance when I'm sitting in a, a room that for you know, 16, 17 years of my life used to function as our TV room. But as you sort of said in the introduction, I'm a an Australian, and clearly that's much rarer that people make that journey the other way. But um, a reasonable description, I, I sometimes use at conferences and the like, is a is a true rural pipeline person with a leaky Kiwi sort of exit at the end. And I'm I'm in New Zealand as a pure and, and love refugee, having met a Kiwi at the end. But it it was the sort of thing they talk about. I'm from a rural town, Dolby, where I hail from, is a farming community. Dad worked in agriculture. I was exposed pretty early when I was still at school to the idea that particularly rural GPs, but multiple health professions, they were really short. That was the sort of end of the 90s when there was a realisation they had to try to target. I then went to uni, was very fortunate, I think, at UQ to be able to do a postgrad, which I think is, you know, part of the discussion as we look moving forward in New Zealand. I think I had the time to really be certain even despite all of that, I, I was certain by the time I started that I wanted to do medicine. I took a rural scholarship in what was my first year of a four-year degree, which meant from that point on, I knew I'd be returning to rural areas. So I'd, I partly was enabled and partly myself targeted placements. I, I was out in the Northern Territory. I did some time at what were pretty, what was a pretty new rural clinical school there in Rockhampton. Um, and because of the scholarship, I used to have to spend two, three weeks back in in Dolby, Charleville, Roma, I, I spent two or three weeks. So, so that whole, you know, rural background, rural exposure. And then, um, again, I got on to the ACRAM and, and RACGP. I joined both training program and did rotations that I knew from the start. I always described that, that I, the next time I might be doing it, I might be doing it in Manizer on my own is what I used to always say during my internship. And it meant I, I really got my hands on a lot of things really early. And I did a year in Toowoomba and Cairns and then advanced skill year in anaesthetics. I moved back for a year with Olivia after we'd met um, to Christchurch and that was formally accredited for what it's worth for an emergency year. So this sort of training that was targeted at, at primary care, the real ACRAM RACGP target of good acute care skills and primary care. And then, uh, as happens for, for many people, I think when we had Charlotte, our first, who's going to be 12 this year, Olivia in particular realised that the sort of call of home and had already realised how busy I'd be as a, as a medic. And, and we came to a family decision that that we really wanted to move to New Zealand. And, and truly, uh, I mean it, even sitting here, we haven't looked back since. And so I had another 18 months doing some obstetrics through Christchurch, as Olivia wanted to be really close to Whanau for a while. And then um, we did a bit of a tiki tour. We knew we wanted to be on the South Island. And I had a look at uh, Clutha, Queenstown, other places. And I still have vivid memories of arriving on the coast and I'd prearranged and Carol Atmore met me and showed me around the facilities, talked about the job and incredible enthusiasm and it seemed like the coast was starting to really do some things that I thought would make it interesting and, and seemed big enough that I'd be able to 
hopefully use some of those skills that I'd developed. So by the time that was 2013, we arrived on the coast and it's amazing how a decade sort of ticks away and we've been there close to 10 years and clearly 10 years next year. So it is amazing how quickly a uh, decade rolls around and children are very good timekeepers of that uh, timeline, aren't they? Well, as we said, just prior to, to tuning in, our first international trip where I really feel like I could just sit and relax and enjoy <laughs> my movie and leave the children to their to, yeah, their, to, their, to their cokes that they'd ordered without our knowledge. But anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. The poor air hostess, she was led astray. Uh, well, hallelujah for a lovely refugee, because as you say, there's not many uh, Aussies that train over there in Akram and come this way. Uh, because I think it's a lot harder, I think, because your, just your sheer diversity in Australia and the geographical isolation. Allow, I've got a couple of friends who work over there. And so their skill set is just not quite so easy to apply in the New Zealand setting. So it's fabulous that you've been able to do that. Yeah, and we'll come to it. I think the other <laughs> thing is the use of, um, there's a balance, and I, and I think um, New Zealand has got some of it right, but I think the use of those procedural skills frustrates a lot of people, are, even on the my time on the coast I've had half a dozen inquiries from people who are genuinely interested and sometimes a medical couple who one might have done the advanced training in obstetrics and another one and some advanced anesthetics and they're just the realization that they won't really be able to utilize that um, mm. sometimes um, decision to move to somewhere rural Victoria rural Queensland and as I said I know I've got two or three examples of that yes we have one in common don't we yeah that's right um, <laughs> And actually, the other thing I love for just for probably our trainees, actually anyone who's listening to this, is that whole uh, ethos around next time I might be doing this on my own. I like that because it just really makes you probably concentrate a lot more and really focus on watching and learning the skill while you're, while you're there with someone. Yeah, I, th I think that's stuck with me the whole way, even when I went back and, and did, you know, whatever advanced skill I've done. I think, um, I think senior people really respond to that if they're aware mm. that you're aware of that they one seek you out for a bit more opportunity but two you just frame what you're learning in a different way it's like mm. I'm not learning this so that I, the next 25 times I see it I can practice this I learn it because I, I'm genuinely of the thought that the next time I do it it might be needed but I might be on my own so I agree I think it's a really it's a really good frame for those starting out who, who think rural meds a career or even during the registrar years and actually probably during any training uh program because there is the likelihood that you may only see certain procedures once in your training and then exactly. next time it is you yeah so brendan tell me how does how does the day sort of roll for a rural hospital practitioner working on the west coast look, look it's it's funny even in answering that question i probably have to unpick one thing and just move back a step most most who, who've been to the coast or, or involved you, you know the the in the water rural group are aware but one of the really unique things that actually attracted me because it overlapped with queensland is that 15 20 years ago when private practitioners who own gp surgeries on the coast put them up for sale they just had no interest and, and i think you know that speaks to how difficult it is to recruit people to the coast and, and how um how primary care continues to be a problem so what um mm. you know only four days in the past but the dhbs at that point in time there's a piece of legislation that that requires them to be the provider of last resort so the dhb had to essentially purchase 
the GP practice in Greymouth and it eventually turned into sort of two and they had to purchase the GP practice in Westport. And so that has meant in the end for simplistic purposes to talk about enrolled population that two thirds of the patients on the coast are enrolled and that includes Southwest and Reefton as well. So that's the environment that we're working in and that's of relevance because when you ask that question, what's a day in the life of a rural generalist or rural hospital medicine specialist look on the coast? The answer is it's actually quite diverse and depends what role there is in. So we've actually now got two or three roles that, that rural hospital medicine docs, rural generalists fill. And those individuals, the whole point of what we've tried to develop is a diverse skill set. So myself, um, always easiest to start with oneself, but it yeah, may involve right. a, a clinic in uh, Moana doing and or general practice, it may involve a more complex sort of um, support rural nurses type link into Southwestern where you're supporting primary care work, but in much more of a facilitator of local people delivering that. It may involve a, a sort of barn door shift in, in, in emergency or a call shift, which has been the common role for what it's worth and worth talking to that when we've talked about RHM or rural hospital medicine call on the coast, that involves support of acute, acute zone, largely ED, but also paediatrics which is what keeps us all up a little bit at night and and mm. truly neonates to a fairly advanced level um as in neonatal resuscitation potentially stabilization mm. and and support for a neonate and there's always been the thought that anesthetics which is based on the coast support that but i can tell you from experience that that they tend to run away as well so it, it, it that's that's been a unique part of it but the last three years and then talking about oneself, it might be that I'm on call for obstetrics, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But mm. for for another cohort, we've really, I think we've tried to match the real, the really strong internal medicine skills that a lot of RHM trainees <coughs> come through with, and recognizing again a real recruitment and sustainability problem for us. So now inpatient medical call and inpatient medical work might be part of it. And as I said, part of uh, the, the, the coast and it's an intriguing thing whether that's because we've had these specialty areas and we're looking to combine these often still run in parallel and I would think you'd go to some rural hospitals not serving not a lot um, smaller or even the same size population who'd function with a few less people doing a number of those roles but that that might be something we look at in the longer term but for now um, on any given day at the moment, in particular in the weekend, just just gone. One of my colleagues, who's an RHM, might be on for medicine and, and covering that internal medicine role. Another one might be cover, covering um, O and G, and another one might be covering, as I said, RHM, which would be an ED and, and pediatric support. And then there'd be somebody, and it's increasingly um, someone like Tom Barry, who'd be familiar to many people, or Tom Noonan, covering um, essentially GP call. So. That that real cohort has been part of what we've been able to build, and 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 what that means at a real support and collegial level is as well as the links. When you spoke to Steve on the previous podcast, those real links which are so important for us, that mm. networking with Christchurch as our tertiary provider, it does mean we've got a little bit more on the ground support, um, and I think that's been part of the fundamental shift for us. Mm. So in your week, you could cover a number of different wards it's obviously still a relatively big hospital still. from the facility point of view i guess there's two things service first facility i think they they look there's bed pressures like everywhere but i think um 
to Nico, the new design has made the right choice. We're a single ward now. There is a, a oh, thought see. if they could staff up. The great problem we're all dealing with across the country, isn't it, nursing staffing. Mm. If they could staff, we've got a, a, a acute zone that's sort of ED extending through to PEDS and an acute sort of 24-hour admitting that we're really having trouble staffing would be essentially one area and then there's a ward and it's a single ward. It used to be multiple, but it's right. 28 to 32 beds depending on how it's staffed and a mix of sort of whatever's come in and mostly still acute work, but a little bit of planned elective activity in orthopaedics, general surgery. We have visiting neurologists. Again, a bit as Steve talked to, the those networks are just so important and um, it's not to either understate or overstate. It's just part of provision of rural health care that we learn to work really well together, which, again, we'd, we'd hope that the relationships, and I really like a term Roger Strasser uses that, when rural health can be relational rather than transactional, I think we, we fundamentally yes. shift the way we interact. And I really like, I think, the services and the interactions that work best for us, that just rings a bell to all of us. Hear, hear. It would be good if we could have relation relational transactions all the time, <laughs> couldn't That's we? right, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously a couple of things leading on from that. It has been a hard area to staff. You know, I remember when I got into my training and the coast was always, you know, difficult and people not wanting necessarily to go there in their training and things. Have you seen that the rural hospital has altered this? Like, have you found that it's easier to staff nowadays? Look, we really do need, we really do need to get on and publish some of it. It is a, a different, fundamentally different feel and, and, and multiple things. And I think really the, the key difference, uh, I think, when we've looked at whatever project we've done, I get a little bit angry when we're dismissed by bodies, mm. be they unions or colleges or other. There is lighter some of it in New Zealand, but but again, though I mentioned last time, when you look at at um, you know Carty and Gary and a lot of these people, huge amount of research in New Zealand, and above and beyond that, sort of thirty years of really good research now in rural health that talks about things. And the reason that's of relevance is whether it be the Rural Generalist Project, we've we've kept talking about, you know, models that are evidence-based, which they are, not to the same extent as other things, but there is a really good body of evidence developing. And it's the same with recruitment and what we've tried to do as our strategy is, is those three things that just keep emerging, the idea that rural background, that undergraduate experience, and recognising that neither of those actually, as the healthcare provider, we can target much. So then the third one, targeted training for rural practice. And that involves just, that involves multiple parts is the reason that it, you can't just decide you're going to do it and then the next day. But a, a functional SMO cohort all of a sudden mm. means you've got capability yeah. for supervision. It means you can take registrars. Mm. It means you can take community-based attachments has been our other real target. One of the hats I wore for a period of time was pre-vocational educational supervisor, which Mike Wells has taken on now. And that means that real, at least the end part of the pipeline, we can really start to make sure that we get people over on the coast. And, and that's that's truly, if you were to try to summarise it, which I haven't done very well, have I? But if you try to summarise it in a minute, that would be it. It's that we've developed the part of the pipeline that we can affect. And, and, and look, again, acknowledging the work of many others like Emma and Greville, who, who've really tried to make sure that students come to the coast. Mm. 
And again, it will be the universities, and I know there's been advocacy to make sure that rural background is preference, but there have been plenty of people working away at that middle part, but the project in the last 10 years has really been, how do we make sure that we've got a, a training hub, a facility that's supporting it and targeting training so that you get people there and the experience is then that they're the people by and large who we've got back. So it is that whatever term you like to use, grow your own or it, 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 it has worked. And I think that's what's made a big difference is all of a sudden now we've got it, just those layers which add so much. Mm. You know, people who are about to sit exams are so much more attuned than I am to most uh, of the information and they just... The, the, the value that that adds and then you've got layer because it's been enough time you've then got layers of seniors people who are really new and fresh and keener to get their teeth into things and then sort of old hands who, who, who know, know what works and doesn't work and have a yeah. degree of cynicism so and some leader leadership layers within that so it, it's just um i think that's it we've been able to hold our ground and that's what's really hard is i think steve used a term like this but that old you're a single resignation from another crisis. And, and we've tried mm. to future-proof that by building a, a broader workforce, but also by making sure that it's that most of what we develop, and there's still things that are, but most of what we develop are not dependent on one or even two people, that, that you try to make it a, a system that builds around what we're designing. Well, all of that, uh, you know, uh, sounds so exciting for the coast because it has been a hard staff area. And as you say, having all those layers, and you do, you need all of those layers, don't you? The youthful energy of the youth and then the experience and then a little bit of cynicism. And I just think, yeah, that is very exciting. You mentioned, obviously, we're on – oh, sorry. Yep, go. Oh, and look, I jumped in. I just saw, like – when I talk about that, I've been focusing, even though I mentioned Southwestern, the other area, and and it shows how – this is, I think, our experience even locally. It shows how for many districts, I appreciate the smaller you are, it becomes even trickier yeah. because I talk about right. those layers. So Westport and Buller, finally, we're in a little bit better position, but I still, and most people would acknowledge that we're particularly one individual and, you know, Nina uh, deserves to be thrown in the the, the ring with, with people like Gary and Carty in terms of setting up the program and individually what she's done for there. Now, we've tried to build around that with a a little bit of a net, our own network. Um, and Greville used to talk about this a lot, trying to make things as well as Transalpine, which is our catch name for the network support we get from Christchurch, Transcoastal, which is us supporting Southwestern, which we're not doing mm. well enough yet, but making more of an effort with, and, and Westport as well. So even though there's permanent staff and people based there, there's a little bit more support out of Greymouth. Some individuals like um, Sally Peters come on board, Justin Venable, they're, they're providing support for, for Westport. Um, and that's, again, just trying to build in that layer of protection. But, you know, most people, I think, would say that space is still more vulnerable and it shows that, that the smaller mm. you are, I think, that the harder that mm. becomes in yeah. actuality, even if it's a theory. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, keep up the good work. Now, obviously, we're 4th of July, uh, and you mentioned day four. So I know that you mentioned you've been a the rural, if I've got this right, the rural lead for the interim plan for Health New Zealand. Is this correct? Oh, that's more or less the term. Yeah, it, it's been a, a sort of point two secondment, which um, doesn't feel or, or sound like much, but it's been a really interesting role. And I think um, 
for quite different reasons to a lot of what I've been involved with on the coast. It really has been um, much more of a collaborative role, both learning for me, and I think that's interesting reflection as we move into a new environment, the idea mm. of co-design and co-governance. I thought I got aspects of it, but it, but it really is a different lens. So, so that real collaboration with the partners you're working with, representatives, people who are nominated by the Māori Health Authority. Mm. But then beyond that, the role has really been less about, oh, these are things we've done, much more about what is happening in rural, what is the advocacy that's been going on and trying to bring that to the fore because I, I think the hope was, and again, I, I like to, I like to feel that that has been of some use, but I think the hope was by having somebody who's engaged and working in rural health, that it's more likely that that as you bring the players in, that that will have some credibility. And I, I do feel certainly um, the, the launch of Hayora to Whenua the other day and their advocacy ha has really, basically most of what we've written in is what they've been writing about for years and years and, and making sure that that's brought to the fore. But equally important was the ability um, I think to visit a number of um, uh, Maori health providers, particularly the lower North Island, around Joy, in fact, the Cinder around yeah. East Cape and, and, and through the Mohag providers, and just the work they're doing and, and really trying to highlight how we need to build and build more capability. So um, it's words on a piece of paper for now, which is the great risk. And part of mm. when we've talked at workshops for what it's worth, there's a 1999 rural health strategy that you could pick up change a couple of things and it sounds a lot like all of us want to talk and uh, it's jeremy who, who's better and more positive even in that space that, that actually got me a bit dejected when i found it because we both weren't aware of it but equally it's like well that's almost the challenge that it, it really can just be words on a paper but for the uh, you know for the wider sector to come together and really try to to, to build on, on a reform that certainly talks about inequity. And, and finally, even though it maybe didn't feel like it always, I think finally has recognised that rural as a separate and, and specific group within that is worthwhile of specific consideration, which means a rural health strategy that does start to hold people to account. So I'm excited and, and part of it is, is to be involved. But I also acknowledge that there's a, one, it's a really tricky time. And I think some of this, Mm. can can sound a little bit like well here we go again but um again the challenge of sort of making sure that it's not just three pages within an 80 odd page plan that somebody picks up in 10 years and goes oh that sounded nice but has anything really changed that is the key isn't it because it is a little bit depressing if you say in 1999 and only needs to change a few words and here we are with the same but i like your optimism and if you've been involved in it then we'll grab hold of that and keep moving forward so keep up the good work um, now, I, I feel like you, once we've finished this, I'm going to feel like you work about 1.5 FTE a week, <laughs> but I want to talk a wee bit more about your rural generalist obstetrics, and if you can tell me a little bit more around the aspect of your career and the role specifically for you on this, on the coast. Yeah, again, probably real relevance being back in Dolby, having grown up here, my introduction to rural medicine, and I think the moment at which I went, wow, that's really cool, was two conferences. And I distinctly remember one, the Wonka Conference of 2002 in Melbourne, getting to go to that as a student and just hearing the many of the international speakers, for what it's worth, the way they describe rural health and um, mm. the sort of 
you know, the values that they applied in their work, I was inspired. And then even though it sounds sort of more granular, just the fun I used to have, and people still talk about them being fun at, at RDAQ, Rural Doctors Association of Queensland Conferences, but part of it at a, at a, I just was amazed the skills that these individuals had and utilised within their communities. So I think that's of relevance because I grew up with that as my frame of what rural medicine was and then mm. equally went on and trained. And so when I arrived on the coast and even to reference back to that, you know, first time I met Carol, there was a hope that I would get into theatre and be able to do some anaesthetics. So I'd got what is the JCCA, which will soon be converted. But it's amazing the culture to overcome. And there's things I know now, barriers <clears throat> that we've hopefully overcoming obstetrics that were there. But I still remember comments that there was a surgeon, and I won't swear on here, but some sort of underhand comment about bringing these buggers back to kill people or along those lines before he wandered oh. out of theatre. But I always felt that obstetrics would be the most interesting practice, which I do still think it is. And I think the second thing is it's a little bit more centred. Anesthetics tends to follow the other in terms of an advanced skill. Obstetrics is very much the key is it's centred on making sure that communities have access to safe birthing in really big countries like Canada and Australia, but it's vital for the coast as well. And so mm. by going back after I'd been there, I think there were a couple of things that that helped enable the, the obstetric role to happen. One, by doing most half of my training after I'd been on the coast for three or four years. So I went back to Christchurch. It meant Christchurch had to be accredited. So they were the first New Zealand centre to be accredited to deliver what's called the Advanced Diploma of Obstetrics, which is delivered and overseen by Branscog, the, the ONG college. Mm -hmm. In doing that, they bought into at least the training process, even though they'll be frank, they didn't completely know what they were producing, but they were like, this sounds like a good idea. That meant after I'd been on the coast for five years and developed relationships and people knew who I was, I then went back and did the upskilling rather than came, you know, with a sort of sort of fanfare and, and, and trumpeted into town. I was already part of the community. My, my family were at schools. Mm. Um, Olivia was involved in stuff, various things. She was um, she, she district nurse when we first got over there. So, so they knew that. And so that was really key. But still, if I'm truthful now, if I knew known all the other barriers, and, and look, the, the other barriers is that basically the way that many, and Gary hinted at this, but he sort of used to always give a wry smile, but what he knew probably from setting up RHM is that the keys to the kingdom in New Zealand are held a little bit more by the medical council. And so in Australia, the colleges have a little bit more sway and oversight as to what advanced scopes and the way people will practice, whereas right. scope of practice is very much defined by the medical council, which is why their approach to it has been to develop more and more and more. And I think we're up to 26 and counting. And they're clear they don't want any more. So when we came, when, when I did the training and came with this, um, COVID helped us be able to practice because we got an exemption. But we were sort of, as we tried to get it as a thing and get approval, we were going round and round between Renscog and then College of GPs and RHM and Ministry of Health and Health and Disability. We just couldn't work out who it was up to to sort uh. of say we might support this because Renscog went to a couple of meetings and they're like, this sounds really good, really short of, of ONG all around the country. And so eventually when we got that meeting, which was February 2021, they sat down and they said, look, this is how the legislation the, uh, the um, works in New Zealand. We need approval. But 
we're really supportive. We can see that this is based on overcoming inequity of maintaining safe service, the process you've developed around credentialing, the training that you're adhering to, um, the letter of support you've got from Renscog. We all see that as fundamentally important and we don't want to be a barrier in ourselves. So that was probably the moment that when I first started the training in November 2017, and I heard you last time again to Steve talk about how long things take, but that was how long it really took for us to go, mm. actually. And, and so what they've given us is they're going to write a, a policy that will allow, for now, just the coast. But but I think this is of relevance for this discussion, given that that clearly if people are tuning in, the by and large be the trainees or people involved in rural health, is that the Medical Council have been clear that they see the process. They wouldn't go through all of this just to approve a few people to do some secondary care obstetrics on the coast, that if it can be shown that it's to overcome and serve community needs and that there's a safe framework around it, they're willing to work around anything. And, you know, so to me that overlaps endoscopy type areas. You might look at cardiology and in particular, say, echocardiography, where there might be um, the ability where, where visiting people only come in frequently. And look back to the original one, anaesthetics, but that involves a much more detailed conversation with the College of Anaesthetics, who are still by and large not supportive of this. But interestingly, they've been involved and there's been New Zealand representatives on developing a new framework, which is called the Diploma of Rural General Anaesthetics, which they've made clear at the moment is for the Australian context. But I think that provides a bit of an opportunity because it is a new structure. It's got uh, it's thought to be more modern in terms of the elements it's got to it, reflective practice and other things. But look, to circle back, it was then really about the ability to support secondary care rather than LMC, primary care, um, ONG and antenatal care. And, and while that might be unfamiliar to many people, again, back to the original comment, it was what I was familiar with in Australia. Mm. And again, widely used in Canada in some US context. So the idea that a primary care or a rural hospital medicine doctor in the New Zealand setting can practice advanced procedural obstetric skills. So I can do and Alan, who works with me, and, and Sarah Gordon, who's training at the moment, will come out with the ability to do a cesarean section and assisted delivery, some pretty reasonable expectation around ultrasound scanning so that on a weekend when there's no ultrasound in a place like Greymouth, um, you, you can get a decent sense if that's an ectopic pregnancy that's presenting or if, um, you know, third trimester things you need to be able to look at where the placenta and whatnot is. And then wow. um, you sort of guiding scope for want of a better term but i'm loath to use that extends to being able to save someone's life with a ruptured ectopic so I, i'm not right. ever going to do laparoscopy i've no intention of learning to do that but i'd i'd do a, a same incision i do for cesarean to attempt to sort of save someone who had a couple of hemoperitoneum of a couple of liters from a ruptured ectopic you need to be able to save their life as well wow so this is all happening on the coast currently so this whole program and so between you, Sarah, and Alan, are the three currently training to do? We, we are. But, and probably the other point to make around it, we are, I realise, even as I talk there, the sort of exciting parts of it, but one of the keys that I need and do keep reinforcing is that it's really important my role, for want of a better term, remained grounded with my feet in primary care. So it's to support that service. I'm part of that roster, but if my role was ever to stop or not include 
provision of primary care or rural hospital medicine services as its core, I think it loses its value because then you're just you're just producing an ONG person who has had a slightly different training. The real benefit mm. for the coast is that you can provide broad aspects of care and when required. And, and Alan and I, between us, cover about a third of the roster now. So we're the weekend obstetrician on call and right. we liaise closely for phone advice with Christchurch on that weekend. But the expectation is that we deal with those emergencies as they arrive, if we need to take someone to theatre for a cesarean, if we need to do an assisted delivery. And fortunately, it's rare and we haven't actually had to yet, but it, it, we went close on the weekend. If you had to manage a ruptured ectopic, that you'd do that. Yeah. Oh, it just, uh, I mean, I think when most of us enter this training program, or I certainly remember when I did, like I think the reason we enter it is we just love the generalism and the skills. And then if you have an interest in obstetrics, which I did six months of obstetrics, where you know you can choose what you want to do in aspects. And the joy of being able to look after a mum and a baby is what really appeals in that, isn't it? So, uh, oh, no, I think that's really exciting. Fabulous. So apart from doing all that, as I said, 1.5 FTE, uh, I'm not sure when you decided to do your master's, but at some point you decided to do your master's. So tell me a little bit about that and how you managed to fit this into all of this and how it's complemented your work. And obviously there might be a few downsides, but I'm going to guess more upsides. So yeah, run me through your master's or run all of us through your master's. Look, I think I'm at risk of trying to devolve responsibility too much and rather than adult <laughs> choices, but it was, and I'm really grateful, a number of, again, the people I've mentioned previously who encouraged me to do it. And I think, look, one point that that, that I think needs to be said that was reinforced last week, I think the, the broader and more inclusive we are as a rural faculty, I think the better rural New Zealand patients will be served. I think, and I like Andrew, the current chair of RHM talks about this. I think we really should look to be inclusive of those who really want to benefit rural New Zealanders. And I think then they'll understand more what we do. And I think linked to that is the need for a little bit more of an academic base to what we do and more people able to do research and capable of research in rural areas. And it was on that basis that the idea of doing one was sold to me by largely by Gary, but I can't just blame Gary. Can't oh, believe oh. that Gary Nixon's name would come into this. <laughs> Look, and, and I sort of, I had the advantage that my obstetric diploma, and this will be too confusing and I won't go in too much, but I did it through Otago, the first part of my diploma before the advanced element that I went back to. So all of that counted. And so then oh, yeah. I realised I was actually much closer than many people would be. And so maybe it wouldn't be too hard. So I chipped away a few years, did a research methods, and I did the context paper, which I'm really pleased I did. And, and then I still had the sort of research piece hanging over my head and and look if I'm truthful I underestimated how much work it would be and you have the chance to acknowledge a real acknowledgement to Carty and Tim Stokes who are my supervisors and nice. I definitely nice. know now that they at one stage were quite worried about my insight and as it turns out so was Olivia my <laughs> wife but I really enjoyed it and I think the keys were to pick a topic that you like mm. um People talk about how do you get into research. I think it's hard. I know that Cut herself, her journey is very differently. She's published so many papers before she's done her master's. But, but I would have struggled to understand how you go about it, how much work is involved, and truthfully, how hard academic writing is. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think we get as much. Uh, uh, it's been a conversation right. we've had. I think doctors were just so 
we continue to do multi-guest things and, and, and like short answer questions. I think nursing and a lot of other degrees have much more academic writing that they that they're then critiqued on and so yeah. you know that it was it was much harder than I thought and took a little <laughs> bit longer and I probably uh, 101 do really make sure you set aside and and when I say that do really make sure you set aside time specifically for it for anyone who wants to undertake it I, I ended up doing that initially and then not enough for the writing part and got a bit behind and then COVID came in as well and someone went off sick and before I knew it I, I, I had months uh, like weeks left to hand it in. And that's when I think, as I said, they were quite worried. And I got extensions in the end, which I'm not the least bit ashamed of. I needed them and I had justifiable reasons with some of what happened. But I, but I did really enjoy it. And I'd really encourage people who think it's a worthwhile thing that you do learn a lot and you're humbled. And I think the, one of the other reasons to talk to your points, Lucinda, I think those of us who get into generalism actually like the fact that you learned and the counter to that is that you're then continually humbled by one how broad the knowledge we need to know is but just even within your practice and and for me this was another aspect of it to realize how easy people make academic writing seem and how actually uh, difficult it was just to sort of pick up a pen and do it so um i'm pleased the the uh, i handed it in and, and i'll probably have it back any day now and I'll find out oh. how it went. But um, yeah, and it was linked to the above. The other thing is I think that's doing this project together, I think worked. Uh, I think to have done all of this work around sort of helping and, and being part of the team evolving a model of care. I did a scoping review on rural generalist obstetrics, which yep. made me very familiar with some of the international evidence mm. around around it. So yeah, look, it, it, I think I think the greatest negative is just um, I think you do have to set aside that time because I, in the end, feel that I probably didn't get as much. I would have liked to read more masters or really utilise the resources that the university have online. And because right. you're a distance student, I yeah. ended up, I got more out of it than this, but I ended up a little bit like we're very used to with medical things is doing what you have to do to get through it and i always hoped and thought i'd probably have more time just to look at some more general stuff around research and reading and writing and and i just ran out of time for that so i think when i think about it when you ask that question there's clearly been an impact on family life yeah. and and look it was busy in a lot of weekends but but yeah i will spend more time with them but i hope they'd also see that that you know i think having a passion and enjoying what you do is really important as well but i do now at the other end of that like like after tonight lucinda i'm switching off from work stuff and really making sure i spend this this time with the kids so it's things like that and everyone will find their own balance but i think i think do it if you're interested it's an incredible experience but don't underestimate the time it takes and the need to, to set time aside are probably the two things I'd say. I uh, I suspect most medics, and clearly you, Brendan, are used to being high achievers and very busy and having to, and probably like over committing. So I think you truly deserve a good holiday. And so I do, again, I really do appreciate you chatting to me on your holiday. As you say, I may have struggled to catch you if you were working. So um, <laughs> it's probably good to get you on your holiday. Have you got, in terms of your, do you think you've told me about what your findings were in your master's? Have you um, got like a couple of bullet points just, just to give us? 
yeah, being a scoping review, part of the findings are more boring things, um, like there were 50 papers in the last 30 years that seem yeah. to describe aspects of rural generalist obstetrics. Nearly all of them are from the US, Canada or Australia, which is of relevance, certainly post-1990. There was there, There's descriptors of um, GP obstetrics and some opinion pieces. I, I excluded, for what it's worth, um, descriptive or opinion pieces from it. I wanted primary research, which um, 50 is a fair number, but there's a lot once you, when you look into uh, I was basing it on a couple of sort of key papers. There's a big review that they, realist review, which was a type of research I'd never heard of out of Canada that was mainly looking at a safety. And then there's a recent, just more general review from Shibin et al on rural generalism. But most of the papers in that are descriptive and I really wanted to try to stick to primary research. And then there were sort of two themes that have moved using the skill, procedural obstetrics and workforce. Again, probably no surprise, the latter one in, in rural health. And the sort of three things out of that were, being a scoping review, you, you can't categorize categorically say one thing or the other but you can generally comment and there were no papers that suggested that rural generalist obstetrics delivered was more unsafe is the term we used not that it was safer but that it was more, no more no less safe yeah. um that you need sufficient experience during your training so you have to get your volumes when you got the chance mm. to be in a big place and it highlighted a more service level thing the consequence for rural communities and rural services when the service is not supported so that's sort of at a government level but there are actually some papers and it held real relevance probably when we went through some tough things on the coast they highlighted in areas us for what it's worth because i didn't actually know it was such a thing in the us and they're sort of called family medicine obstetrics over there but some places were literally sort of a couple of specialists moved in flicked out the others and then got a bit bored and all that community lost was a service altogether because um, <clears throat> there just wasn't enough to sustain specialist care the others had moved out or lost their skill or, or yes. couldn't sustain. And then within a few years, that they went, oh, actually, yep. And, and that's a little bit the experience, but for complex reasons in Queensland, there wasn't many papers. But that's what I saw growing up, that if that if you don't have advocates for areas like this, that somebody somewhere sort of central makes a decision. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, that last point was was interesting. I know it has a lot of relevance to New Zealand with the way our maternity care has gone. You know, I've written down here about it. We possibly don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but, you know, we have lost a lot of skill set in primary care and GP obstetricians and, you know, just in terms of the way maternity care is in New Zealand. Just sounds a wee bit like what you're saying there with that US. Look, my minute thing is, and I think this has come from a Health New Zealand involvement, uh, I think it's probably a classic urban-centric decision. LMC and continuity of care sounds and is sustainable mm. in bigger places. And, yep, there's valid arguments there about whether GPs should be more involved. Once you flick that to rural, it's a no-brainer and it's unfortunately been a disaster. And part of my role and part of actually the benefit, you know, has been and truly the primary care involvement. So South Westland, I, I, I go down there and I can see an antenatal clinic patient because it's too much. You know, that area is huge and one LMC covers it. So mm. I can see a postnatal, I can see an LMC patient. I, I can do a, a marina or a Jadel and then I can see a couple of GP patients. And, you, you know, that flexibility, we all know it, but that's the, the key in rural. And I think lead maternity care is now really struggling in rural areas. And in some ways it's no surprise because... It's that whole idea of trying to replicate multiple models of service delivery. It, there's no reason why there'd be any more, any less challenge for that 
work group than there would be for doctors than there would be for nurses. So, no. you know, I think, again, the more we can collaborate and work together and look at the right model for communities in rural areas, I think the better it can be. And what a beautifully uh, varied day for you. Like, how exciting to have all that diversity in your day. I mean, that just sounds fabulous to me. I, I think that's... Um, and I know there might be some trainees, and I think that's actually, you know, rural areas are hard to staff. Your point about the coast is true. But I think what um, that's the perfect marriage, isn't it, for want of a better term, is that the community need is then matched to what's really diverse and interesting practice. And if mm-hmm. I've always said this, if you're, in essence, competing like for like, if you've got a barn door general practice job mm-hmm. on the coast that looks and feels like Christchurch, statistically, I'm probably right, 97 times out of 100, people are going to choose to live and work in Christchurch. But if you can add something, financial incentives have traditionally been the one. But I think well and truly beyond that, if you can add interest to the job, opportunities for leadership, like many of us are finding, academic opportunities, all of that starts to add up to a a much better option and gives people much more opportunity to choose something on the basis of of what they enjoy. So there you have it, team. Did you just hear what Brenda said? It is all happening on the coast. So if you want it, if any of that sounds like you want it, leadership, research, masters, diversity, varied day, sounds fabulous. So I would just like to say, have you got anything else you want to say, Brendan? No, look, listen, I really appreciate the, the opportunity and look, if it's of relevance because people ask, but I must even say with sort of being back home and people asking, I think there can be some challenges moving there and I think traditionally, but I think the jobs and the opportunities and the diversity of work for rural New Zealand holds real appeal and it's not uh-huh. that it's one over the other, but it, it, can, it can be really remote and and really really hard to live and for us as a family to move to the coast and i know this overlaps with many of the connections i've, I've made in people in northland and getting to know yourself that i think the ability to sort of live as well as work and have a real life is what makes um this sort of practice in rural new zealand and it served us very well and I mean that, like, I think the coast has been an excellent place for us to, to bring up a young family. And I know many of my colleagues feel very much the same. Mm. Oh, brilliant, Brendan. Well, long may you stay there. Thank you very much. So, team, that's the end of our Rural Medley podcast this evening. And I look forward to catching up with you next time. <laughs>